welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I heard this story recently of um, the CEO of Bethel Music. He and his wife a few years ago took their two-year-old son, Jackson, to the hospital for what they thought was a normal child sickness. Turns out that they, their two-year-old had E. coli virus that was shutting down and attacking the organs and his kidneys were failing. Um, and so he had to go through blood transfusions and all sorts of medical procedures immediately. And shortly after he was diagnosed, their four-year-old daughter was diagnosed with the same illness and their son wasn't doing well at all. They put out a plea on Instagram one night saying, pray for our boy. And they sent text messages to their friends to um, ask them to intercede and pray. And their close friends were worship leaders, Jonathan and Melissa Hessler. Um, they were worship leaders at Bethel at the time. And Jonathan writes when he got the text, he writes this. He says, as soon as I got that text, I felt like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me. And so the Hesslers decided to intercede and pray. And in the midst of that, Hesslers write this. They said, all of a sudden, out of my gut, the song came out in the face of the giant. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. This song became an anthem for the tailors whose children were battling, battling for their lives making worship their enemy, or sorry, making worship their weapon, they decided to invite their friends and community to the hospital room to begin to sing over Jackson and Addie. And after several weeks in the hospital, when um, the Taylors were able to take their two children home healthy, in the midst of the worst circumstances, the Taylors, the parents of Jackson and Addie, decide to use worship and prayer as their focus to help them in their circumstances. And the song, Raise a Hallelujah, was the song that came out of that moment and that season. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. What do you do when you are overwhelmed with the realities you face. What will we do when we are overwhelmed at a moment with sickness and disruption and financial uncertainty, when there is a crisis of certainty? I believe that worship has the power to transform our problems and circumstances because it has the power to change our perspective. I believe worship has the ability and the power to transform our circumstances because it has the power to change our perspective. I wanna talk about cultivating a life of worship. I wanna talk about how we as resilient disciples will become passionate worshipers in this moment, in this time. Resilient disciples are passionate worshipers. So let's go to the book of Acts. I wanna base this on the story in Acts. That's a fascinating story. It's Acts chapter 16. It says this, once, when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Isn't that amazing? A demon is telling people what Paul and Silas are doing. <clears throat> 
finally, she kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her, and at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners realized that they couldn't make any more money, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd uh, joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. They, the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to uh, guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So in this moment, Paul and Silas are doing what God has called them to do, to go around the world making disciples, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, healing the sick. They find this female slave who is driving them crazy. She's telling everyone of what they're doing. They are gonna show you the way to be saved. They cast out her, her, uh, the demon. Uh, her owners become upset because they can't make any money off of her. They bring Paul and Silas to the leaders of the city and the town is in uproar. Paul and Silas are beaten, they're stripped naked, they're severely flogged, they're put into a prison cell, and their, feets are, their feet excuse me, are fastened to stocks. So um, one observation is when you say yes to God, you will face opposition in your life. And the question I have for you is, do you live a life worthy of opposition? Or does your life make sense to the world and the community around you? You see, this story is about two guys doing the right thing. They're following God, they're living as missionaries, but then they face terrible uh, circumstances and suffering. In fact, the scripture is full of these leaders of the church suffering for the cause of Christ. And the truth is, it's not if you will suffer as a Christian, the question is, how will you respond to difficult circumstances and the suffering that will come? when it does come? Will you choose to live consistently with the values of the kingdom and the way of Jesus as a disciple? Or will you fall apart? Will you remain faithful and fight for what is true or will you just give up? So how will you remain faithful to God in this crisis? How do you remain faithful to God in this crisis? How do you remain faithful to God when circumstances aren't bent in your favor? This story shows us what Paul does. A moment where he's suffering, he's literally bleeding from his wounds, and he's in the middle of prison, and it says in verse 25, verse uh, 25, it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. At midnight, when it was the darkest, in the midst of the worst moment, what we see as an observation of Paul's inner life <clears throat> is he chooses to sing hymns to God and to pray. Do you think that Paul and Silas like felt like praying in that moment? Do you feel like like it was this really cool environment where that inv invited like the presence of God? They probably would rather be sleeping but probably found themselves to be uncomfortable. They probably wanted to be in a more comfortable situation than what they found themselves in. They probably 
could have prayed, God, would you heal these wounds? But the circumstances weren't bent in their favor. It's precisely because of the circumstances that they found themselves in that they needed to sing and pray. When things were at the wor- their worst, when their wounds were hurting, when their back was bleeding, when it was really, really hard, when things weren't going the way they wanted them to go, they chose to worship. <clears throat> what will you do when things aren't going the way you want them to go? How will you respond to the things that are pressing? When life's crashing in, when you lose your job, when your marriage is full of conflict, when your roommates are causing all sorts of issues, when you your six-month-old isn't sleeping and the bills haven't been paid and when your friends get move away or when your coworker gets that promotion or when you're exhausted and fear is overwhelming, when your loved ones are suffering in the hospital and you don't know how it's going to end, maybe you begin to question God's presence and goodness. What will you do in that moment? And as disciples, how do we cultivate faith in the midst of crisis and uncertainty? For Paul and Silas, they sing and pray. Because I believe Paul knew something. He knew worship is to faith as fuel is to fire. Worship is to faith as fuel is to fire. Do you want to cultivate worship in this moment? Then worship. I'm not talking just about allowing your life to be full of worship. Yes, I want your life to be one act of worship, but I'm actually talking about right now singing to God in the moments that are everyday and ordinary, singing to God when circumstances are not in your favor, singing to God to allow your breath to to breathe in and speak out worship to God because worship lifts your head to what is true. Worship fills your thoughts with reality. God is ultimate reality. Worship fills your thoughts with reality and worship empowers your faith to grow. Worship fills your faith and moves you from the moment to the eternal. Because when you close your eyes or when you see scripture and when you uh, picture what's going on in heaven, what we see according to scripture is what is going on in heaven is worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Come, what you see in heaven, what is happening all around us in the heavenly realms is one giant moment of worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worship fills our faith and it moves us from what's in the moment to what is eternal, what will last forever. Worship recalibrates your soul because you were born to worship God. Every human is born to worship God and we were designed as humans to worship the creator and maybe this is one giant reset for humanity. It's a giant restart, a reboot to what humanity is designed to do, to worship God. When circumstances aren't going in your favor, we must learn to pause and say, no, I'm gonna worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Holy, holy, holy. 
I raise a hallelujah. We at this time need to move from ourselves to God and it's never been more important. Circumstances are uncertain. We are in a national, global crisis but, more, but also on top of that, uh, we have suffered from cultural Christianity that has taught us to worship when circumstances are in our favor, to worship when circumstances are good, not worship through circumstances that aren't good. We have organized our lives and our resources and our agendas around our feelings, and we worship our feelings. We worship um, the instant. We worship ourselves. We worship what feels good. We worship when it feels good. We worship what's convenient, what's safe and comfortable. So to worship God is a countercultural act. To worship God is to live a life that is countercultural. Paul's not singing because he felt like singing. He wasn't singing because it was comfortable or convenient. He wasn't singing because he had this creative worship environment with stage lights and fog machines. He wasn't singing because worship, um, because circumstances were in his favor. He was singing because circumstances weren't in his favor and he needed, needed a reality check. He was singing because he knew who Jesus was. He was singing because he had a relationship with God and he had learned that God is what matters most always. Paul was stuck in prison. His wounds were not even healed. His back was probably pulsating with pain. He was literally trapped in the center of a jail. And I wonder maybe right now if any of you feel trapped. Anyone feel trapped right now? in their circumstances. Maybe you feel housebound, can't go anywhere. Maybe it feels a bit like prison right now, can't go to your favorite coffee shop, go to your gym, do your normal routine. What else can you do in these moments? You see, for me, when circumstances aren't going in my favor or if I feel like I'm trapped like the last several weeks, There are a lot of other things I can do. I I have chosen to do. Maybe some of you are like me. What you can do when things aren't going well is you can complain, right? Yeah, we, we do. We complain about how hard it is. Just imagine Paul, man, this is really tough. My back really hurts. I can't itch my back. I wish I could stand up and stretch out. It's a little crowded. You can also blame the people that you're with. You know, like Paul could blame Silas. Silas, if it wasn't for you, blah, or Silas can blame Paul, why don't you just let that, that woman keep the spirit? Or you can criticize the people around you, criticize what's going on. You could talk about regret. Oh, I wish this, I wish that. You could start making lists, start fantasizing about what life will look like when you get through this circumstance. Paul reveals to us what a life of worship looks like as disciples. Paul worshiped through his problems. You see, worship has the power to transform our problems and circumstances because it has the power to transform our perspective. We need to change our mind. We need to access the mind of Christ and we need to enter into a new way of looking at the world in this moment. How many of you need a new outlook on life? How many of you are feeling like, overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life in this current moment and you, you, can't, you don't know what to do. What you need to do in this moment is you need a new mind. You need a reality check and you need a new outlook. <clears throat> How many of you are facing problems without solutions? And it doesn't make sense to you. You have no idea how this story is going to end. Paul teaches us what to do. 
Despite the pain, despite the issues he's facing, despite the, uncircums- uh, the circumstances, he chooses to worship God. I love what Timothy Keller says. He writes, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. See, worship empowers us to have a new perspective. Worship increases our capacity to see God move in our life. Worship empowers, expands, increases our capacity to see God in our life. I want to tell you, last week I woke up Sunday morning preparing to live stream, <clears throat> but I was overwhelmed. I, I, I kid you not, I woke up and I felt so much fear in my body and soul. It was like a, a, a blanket over me. And I was trying to write and um, read and prepare for preaching last week, but I couldn't. I literally was stuck, so I, I text some friends. Um, and what you, what you know about me is uh, I, I was overwhelmed by fear because my son, Ezra, has uh, um, always had issues with sickness. He has lung issues, and whenever he would get sick, he would have a cough that could last for eight weeks. And throughout his la- the last six years of his life, we have, we have taken him to the hospital for lots of things in regards to his lungs and, and sickness. And so there's all sorts of fear around sickness in general. And so as I was reading Saturday night the news and recognizing what's going on in the world, I just was, I woke up with fear that my, my family could get sick and it was paralyzing. And I sent out a text, hey, would you guys pray? And one of my friends said, Darren, stand up grab the Bible and read Psalm 91 over your house. And I began to read Psalm 91. And as soon as I started reading Psalm 91 out loud, which is the Psalm I, le- I read last week, um, I literally felt the fear that was on me lifting and my mind began to move to God. And, and this is the thing. When we are overwhelmed with circumstances that we can feel, we need to get our minds and our souls to the perspective of God. We need to shift our, 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 our reality to what's overwhelming us and go to the ultimate reality, who is God. And in that moment, it took the faith of the psalmist David, the words of truth about God. I had to, as a discipline, read them out loud because my body and my mind and my emotions were overwhelmed. And so I didn't feel like I had faith, but I read uh, a truth that gave me faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen? Where are you? How many of you in this moment need faith to be uh, uh, injected into your, your reality, into your body. This is why the psalmist sings that song, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Is what this, he's telling his soul what to do. Because when we're overwhelmed, when we don't know what to do, we, when, when the possibility is that yes, you could get sickness, yes, your child could get sick, it could be really bad, yes, you don't know where money's gonna come from, yes, you don't know these things, when you literally, like the world is pressing in and you're trapped and your, your mind, your body, your emotions, your spirit is, are crushed, we have to get ourselves into the presence of God 
not because we feel like it, because that's what we were designed to do. We have to take in a deep breath and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, I don't feel like it, God. I gotta get my soul into the presence of God in this moment. I need to move from the moment to the eternal Lord, so I just gotta sing these songs when I see this giant of unbelief. Oh, raise a hallelujah. I don't feel like it, but I need to do this. That's what we're doing in worship. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And listen to what happens to the rest of the story. Remember, worship has the power to change your circumstances because it has the power to change your perspective. But look at what also it does in this moment. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison's door open, he drew a sword to kill himself, but because he thought the prisoners were escaped. But Paul shouted, don't don't harm yourself, we are here. The jailer called for lights, rushed and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them and uh, asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? The, the guard wants to be saved. Then he replied, believe the Lord Jesus and, he will, uh, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us so quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that they were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from their prison, requesting them to leave our city. After Paul and Silas uh, came out of the prison, they didn't go out of the city. They went to Lydia's house, where they were met with uh, the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, then they left. Oh my goodness, this is such a great story. Paul is in prison, he's singing, and there's an earthquake. The, the The foundations of the jail are shaken. Do you have faith that shakes the foundation of your problems? Come on. Do you have the faith that shakes the foundation of your problems? Don't tell me about your problems. Tell your problems about the God that you know. You see, worship changed the circumstances for Paul and Silas. The foundations of the prison are shaken. The door is open. The chains fall off. They're worshiping God, and there's innocent bystanders to their worship. People are not even doing anything, and they're impacted by the life and the worship of Paul and Silas. Come on, brothers and sisters. You better get up, and you better say amen right now. I'm saying amen all by myself. This is what we need in this moment. Enemies become friends. They treat their wounds. Bystanders become participants. Worship has implication for those around us. Households are baptized because of passionate worshipers. A worshiper, a passionate worshiper is contagious. 
people can't help but wanna be around that person because joy will come out. When people find you as a worshiper, when, they, when you learn to cultivate worship in your life, you will see that your life will be contagious. It won't make sense. Resilient disciples are passionate worshipers. And if anything, I just wanna encourage you in this moment to cultivate a life of worship. So um, there's so many ways I can teach on this, but I wanna give you some practicals. How do you cultivate a life of worship in this moment? Number one, what you need to know is your attention is the beginning of worship. We live in what is called an, uh, an attention economy. We have apps and devices that are trying to steal our attention. And I believe your attention is the beginning of worship. So create space in your life to bring your attention to God throughout the day. Direct your thoughts to God. Learn that throughout your day, you can um, set alarms on your phone to remind you to worship God morning, uh, uh, in the middle of the day, in the evening. Create space throughout the day to just draw your attention to God. My favorite space to bring my attention to the Lord is when I do dishes. I do dishes in the house and all the brothers that do dishes in the house say amen. All the women say amen. I love doing dishes. I can overlook part of Long Beach and I've had regular encounters with God. It's because it, when I'm doing dishes, I'm reminded to bring, draw, uh, bring my mind to God's space, to where God is. Number two, how do you cultivate a life of worship? First of all, recognize that the attention is beginning of worship. Number two, start with gratitude. We have to recognize that we need to start with ingratitude. I was thinking about Romans chapter one, and it talks about the problems of the world in Romans one. You could read this later. And it says that ingratitude eventually leads to imprisonment. That as humans, we are designed to give thanks. And wherever you are, begin to cultivate a life of gratitude. That is the beginning of worship, saying thank you, because all of life is a gift. God has given you breath. God has given you joy. God has given you um, everything in your life. So begin by worshiping God by saying thanks. I have what is called a gratitude list. And every morning I wake up and I just write new things on that list. I'm just keeping track of all the things I'm thankful for. Number three, how do you cultivate a life of worship? How do you become a passionate worshiper? I want you to sing out loud. Brothers and sisters, if there were ever a time for us to be singing out loud, now is the time in your homes, in the shower, on your runs, sing out loud, sing worship to God out loud. Get your body into it. Take in a deep breath and sing out loud. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord. You don't want me to sing it. Um, I will give you all my worship. I have so many songs from the past. I have so many songs. I raise a hallelujah. Um, you're the God of miracles. Get those songs into your body and sing them out loud. I want this time to be marked by passionate worship in our homes. Wouldn't it be amazing for God to turn these, this moment into a passionate time of worship for all of us? Number four, make worship a priority in your life. Make worship a priority in your life. It's, it's a discipline. It's a, it's a discipline and it's a posture. You have to choose to make it a priority. Feelings don't matter in worship. You need to make it a priority. Number five, make worship normal and an ordinary experience for the whole family. You don't need a band. 
You don't need to be a musician. You don't need to have the lights dim. You just need to turn on some music and get your family into it. Throughout the day, brothers and sisters, if you're at home and you're in the midst of all sorts of things, push play and let get, let's get the family into it. Get your roommates into it. Start singing. How do you cultivate worship in this time? Number one, attention is the beginning of worship. Start with gratitude. Number two, sing out loud. Make worship a priority. You don't have to feel like it. Do it because it's the right thing to do. It's a discipline that shapes your reality. Number five, make worship normal again. Make worship normal. All humans were designed to worship. So let's make it a normal part of our life. I want to end with this. It's a a great N.T. Wright quote. He says, there are two golden rules at the heart of spirituality. You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe admiration and wonder at someone some, someone or something, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Those who uh, worship money become eventually human calculator machines. He goes on to say, um, so what happens when you worship the creator God who's planned to rescue the world and, um, and put it right and put it to rights, excuse me, has been accomplished by the lamb who was slain. The answer comes in the second golden rule. Because you were made in the God's image, worship makes you more truly human. When you gaze in love and gratitude at the God in whose image you were made, you do indeed grow. You discover more of what it means to be fully alive. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.